0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: Luke only, in his gospel account, deals with the details of Christ's birth and what happened on that day. For that reason, we turn to Luke today to consider the events of Christ's birth and what they mean for us and our salvation. We consider the praise of the heavenly host of angels, that appeared to shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. We read in Luke 2, verses 13 and 14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. It has been questioned as to whether these words the angels spoke here in these verses were actually a song. After all, they state that these angels said these words of praise. Yet, when we sing our Christmas carols at this time of year, we always refer to the praise of these angels as singing. They sang the words we consider. Is that an embellishment of the account, as many Christmas carols are apt to do, The answer is no. In this case, it is not an embellishment. We say that for a few reasons. First, these angels were praising God with the words they spoke. And although it is true that we can praise God in our words without singing, nevertheless the term for praise in the passage we consider speaks of singing praise. Praise is given by the medium of song. Secondly, There was a multitude of angels, a host of angels together, and they praised God together, not by means of reciting or chanting a sentence. They sang the words of our text together. As such, this song is one of praise to God. It does not sing the praise of men. It does not even sing the praise of Jesus as many of the hymns do today. These angels sang praise to God, the one whose purpose was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They praise the God of the covenant, who in His mercy and grace sent Jesus into this world to fulfill His covenant or His sovereign will with respect to our salvation. It is God's praise in this season that we sing with the angels. This entire event that took place on the hills of Bethlehem was a revelation of God's glory. The glory of God is excluded from the Christmas celebration of most today. They see the baby of Bethlehem, but they forget God altogether. We, however, must know and believe that the very purpose of God in the birth of His Son was to glorify Himself. That must be our starting point when considering the birth of Jesus Christ. The angels that suddenly appeared on the hills of Bethlehem joined in singing together for the Reason to praise God. That's what we learn in verse 13. Glory to God in the highest, they say. That says everything about our attitude as we commemorate the conception and birth of our Savior. The story of Christ's birth is told not in order that we might become all fuzzy and cozy over a quaint Christmas story being told. It is told rather... To praise God for making our salvation possible through the birth of His Son. Is that the praise that is found in your heart today, dear believer? You know, the glory of God is a striking thing. God is all-glorious. Whether we choose to give God praise for His glory or not does not detract in any way from His glory. That men refuse today to acknowledge God in the birth of Christ, or even mock God by mocking Christ, that does not make God less glorious. The fact is, whether man chooses to give glory to God or not makes no difference to God himself. It does not make him less glorious. And that is because of what God's glory is. It is the effulgence or shining forth of all of his perfections, all of his virtues, It is the shining forth of God's majesty and power, the shining forth of His holiness and goodness, and of His grace and mercy, and of His truth and righteousness. You see, God is all His attributes or characteristics. They make up who He is. God can never be known or viewed apart from these infinite virtues. And when we look upon God, then these virtues shine forth so brightly that to look upon God face to face, we would be consumed. He dwells in a light of glory unto to which no man can approach, we learn in Scripture. Especially, that's true of one who is a sinner. To behold that glory of God would blind us not only but destroy the sinner. Well, it was this glory that shone forth from the countenance of the angel that brought the message to these shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. We read in verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. These angels had come down from the very presence of God, and they now reflected in but a small way that glory of God. And it made these shepherds fear and quake before them. Fear not, the angel had to tell the shepherds. Do not be afraid. It is the same glory the angels now sing of as they appear in the presence of these lowly shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. God is in the highest of all places. He sits enthroned in the heavens above the earth and sky. There in His dread majesty He rules over heaven and earth. There He directs all the events of this world, including the very moment of Christ's birth, and that in order to accomplish His goal or His purpose for all things. God is all-glorious as He sits there on high. And the angels recognize this glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. And that's what we sing today, too. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we sing it out loudly and powerfully from hearts that are overwhelmed with, consumed with the glory and majesty of our God. We sing a praise to God. We extol Him for His glory because that glory has revealed to you and me that Christ is the Son of God. God has revealed to us what so many cannot see. They are not able to see it. God has blinded their eyes to it. But God in His good pleasure has chosen to reveal to you and me what He has hidden from the wise and the prudent of this world. They are wise in their own conceits. They do not seek after God. They do not see in Jesus as Savior sent to do God's will. They ascribe an altogether different meaning to Christmas, as we will find in a moment. But we see God's glory revealed in the very birth and in the very face of our Lord Jesus Christ. How? In the most beautiful of ways. A humble handmaiden of God, a virgin, born into the fallen, yet royal line of David, was visited by that God in the highest She conceived in her womb that holy thing which is the very Son of God made flesh. This virgin's name was Mary, and she was, as we learned in the word of God, espoused to a man named Joseph. The two of them made their way from Nazareth, their hometown, to Bethlehem, a little village just a few miles south of Jerusalem. Mighty Emperor Caesar Augustus had issued a decree that all the world should be taxed and that therefore everyone must register for that tax. Mary and Joseph were of the line of David, who was born in Bethlehem, the village of David's birth so many years before. God, who lives in the highest and directs all things according to his sovereign will, chose this moment in all of history to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And God did all of this in order to glorify himself in all the earth. So it was that Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem and finding it filled with people who were there for the same reason as they, found refuge, refuge in a cattle stall. There was no room for them in the inn, just as there is never any room in the heart of fallen man for the Christ child. While in the cattle stall, and we know the story well, Mary went into labor and by the end of the day had given birth to an infant son to keep the child warm Joseph wrapped him in swaddling clothes, long linen cloth, and then, to relieve Mary of the stress, lay the baby in a manger to rest. In this way, the king of all the earth was born into extreme poverty. No nice white sheets and sterilized room. The earth did not sing and dance at his birth. Humanity did not break out in hosannas and joyful chorus. The palace in Jerusalem was not decorated with bright ornaments and lights and red ribbons against green holly. We see Jesus born into poverty in order that we who are spiritually poor might become rich. But there, in that manger, we see the revelation of God's glory. The world did not see it then, nor do the wicked see it yet today. And that's why the story is embellished with quaint little manger scenes. There are shepherds around a tiny manger with an image of Christ in it. There are three magi, as if anyone knows if there were three. There are peaceful-looking sheep, and oh yes, let's not forget the little drummer boy. But then why bother with a manger scene? St. Nicholas or Santa Claus with Rudolph and the other reindeer. These really do a better job in revealing what Christmas is all about, don't they? You see, the unbelieving world does not see God's glory revealed in that manger. That lowly birth of our Savior does not make the season bright, but we see the glory of God revealed to us there. There is no doubt that we see and fully well understand the shame that surrounded the birth of our Savior. Not only was he born in a cattle stall, but what is more, the glory that was Christ's as the Son of God was, was, was veiled over in human flesh. Christ looked like any other baby boy as he lay there in that manger. Who could see in his face the very Son of God divine? But we look upon that Christ child with the eyes of faith, and we see him for who he really is. He is God with us, our Emmanuel. God has manifested himself in our flesh. The Son of God came down from His glory on high and visited us poor sinners, and He did this in order that He might deliver us from our sin. We were lost in sin, dear listeners. We were lost and condemned in our sin. The only thing we deserve from God is condemnation and death. God's curse lay upon us. God, in His great mercy and grace, sent forth His Son, in order to redeem His elect children from sin and death. God, in His great love for His people, sent His Son in order to satisfy His justice and make them righteous before Him. But do you see what all of this is? All these are the attributes of God which together make up His glory. All these all these virtues, all these perfections of God are evident in the birth of Jesus. And it is for that reason that the birth of Christ is in fact the very revelation of God's glory. In him all the virtues of God are revealed to us. And for that reason we praise God today. Glory to God in the highest. Now we can understand why the angels were singing the praises of God there in the hills of Bethlehem. It is that knowledge of God's glory that brings peace to the heart of every true believer. The song of the angels is that of glory to, to God, but there is also that last part of the song of the angels, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Never, of course, may these two parts of this song be separated. The moment they are, error is at the doorstep. Never can true peace be separated from the glory of God revealed in Christ. As soon as these are separated, then then, then the kind of peace of which one thinks is a a false peace. It is this false peace of unbelief that the world wishes to emphasize at this time of the year. How often this very verse is mentioned in the world's false conception of peace. Glory be to God, because, they say, He desires through Christ to bring pre- peace to the earth. Peace on earth. And added with this is the idea, God has good will toward every man. This is the idea of the world And this is what is preached by many today, too. God, in his goodwill toward every man, wants to establish peace on earth for us. And the only reason we do not is because we do not wish to listen to God and his plan for this world. Man stands in the way of the peace God desires for everybody in this world and his goodwill toward men. That's that's how the majority wish to interpret the Song of the Angels, especially around this time of the year. People understand peace merely has an end to world strife, strife between nations, strife between races, strife between social classes, and so on. Peace is solving the problems of this world, the economic problems, the problems with sickness and disease, the problems of starving people. Peace is giving money to the downtrodden and the homeless, those who do not have it as well off as what we do. Then everyone will be happy and that good will of God will be shown by us to every man in this world and the world will be at peace. Do not misunderstand what I am saying at this point. The child of God may have pity and may help those who do have it, who who do not have it as well off as what he does. We are not denying this. But true peace does not consist in earthly things. In fact, There is no peace to the wicked, God says through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. Christ says, I came not to bring peace peace to this world, but a sword. There is not true peace found in sin. There cannot be. It is sin that has destroyed all true peace. When man fell into sin in Adam, there followed him unrest and turmoil, both in society as well as in his own heart. And as long as there is sin around, there will not be peace. Peace can only come through that child born in Bethlehem. And not through the example of that child, but by the death of that child. Huh, what a thing to think about at this time of year. How morbid to think of Christ's suffering and death now. It's a time of joy. Don't spoil it by speaking of Christ's death. But we cannot help but see the suffering of Christ in his birth. He was born into this world, suffering the humiliation that comes with the perfect one, the all-glorious one, being born into the flesh of sinners. Besides, the death of Christ is not a reason for mourning. It's the very joy of the season. Christ was born into this world as our Savior, one who takes on him our sin and carries it away. We see our Savior in Bethlehem. And with that salvation, he brings peace. He gives to the sinner rest. That peace and rest that comes from salvation from sin is the true joy of the season because it alone is true peace. Deliverance from sin and being restored to God's favor brings peace to a weary heart that is burdened with sin. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, we are quoting the King James Version here. And the King James Version does not really give a very accurate translation of this Song of the Angels. When I say that, however, it does not mean that the wording is necessarily wrong in itself. God does in His great love and mercy bring peace to this earth in Christ, though the vast majority of mankind does not receive it. It is true that in Christ God's will is shown toward men, although not to every person in this world. So, the translation is not erroneous when properly understood, but it is still not a very good translation. It can, and is so quickly understood, as if God desires to give salvation to every person and not to those whom he has chosen to give that salvation. Because of this error, a more careful translation of this Song of the Angels is needed The English Standard Version translated in this way, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. That, we must properly understand, is the season or the reason for the season of this year. God's peace on earth is directed toward those people who are of God's good pleasure. This is true because there are the only one because they are the only ones who indeed see in Christ salvation from sin these are the only ones whom god leads to christ to find in him alone such joy now we know what the angels sang of that night now we know the joy that they had and we know the message they sang to god be the glory for what he has done and to God's elect people chosen from eternity as the objects of God's good pleasure. Peace to them. Peace to you and me, fellow believers. That is what we hear in the Song of the Angels. We are God's treasure, and He finds His pleasure in us. He loves us. He knows our sin and our misery. In the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, God reveals to us His virtue and grace, and we are saved. God has made a salvation that was humanly impossible, possible, through the birth of His Son into this world. We rejoice in God. We sing with the angels. Glory be to God. To Him be all the praise, honor, power, and dominion forever and ever. May His name be glorified in all the earth. May His will and good pleasure be fulfilled. And on earth peace toward men of His good pleasure. Peace be to you, saints of God not just an earthly joy and peace, but may you experience in your hearts amidst all the trials and afflictions, amidst all the pains and sorrows, amidst all the failures, may you experience peace in your hearts, but also with all the successes and victories and all the works of your hands in this new year. Peace be unto you and joy from our holy God, who has revealed His glory to us in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we remember that now and throughout the year. Let's pray together. Our gracious and eternal Father, we are thankful unto Thee that Thou hast provided us with our salvation, and Thou hast done that by sending forth into this world Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We commemorate His birth, and we do so, Father, because we realize that without His birth, then salvation would not have been possible for us. Thou hast made it possible through sending forth Thy Son to be born of a virgin. And now we are grateful unto Thee too that Thou hast given us our salvation from sin and from our misery, and that we see in the face of Christ. Bless us in this season of the year. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: The Gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at